evening. Hope that you had a good day. How many of you had a good day today? We did. It was great, and uh, the Lord is, is good. He's blessing us, isn't he, in a wonderful way. And, you know, we are privileged to be here at camp meeting, aren't we? Because um, I know a lot of people really have to work, and uh, it's impossible for them to come during the week, but I know that this place will be full on Sabbath, and uh, we are getting this extra blessing by being here this week. And I can remember as a little boy, uh, after we became Seventh-day Adventist, of course, started going to camp meeting. Many good experiences came from that. I love to see little children at camp meeting because uh, um, they're going to their meetings, they're having a good time, and uh, it's just good to see them. It's, it's a good habit to get into at an early age. I know people that are rabid camp meeting friends. I mean, they're there every year. And some of you, I remember from, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was here, I remember some of you. And so it's good to see you again. It's a blessing to, to be with you. And we have to thank the Lord for the rain that he sent this evening to kind of settle the dust. It uh, is good. You know, I love to breathe the air up here. It has that pine scent to it. It just feels fresher up here, doesn't it? And uh, so it's, it's just great to, to be with you. Let me see if I can make you smile this evening. I um, was at the airport recently, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, where I spend a lot of time going and coming. And I was sitting there waiting for the plane to arrive, and it was very early in the morning. And I saw a young man walking by, and he was one that had this... Uh, his hair was all sticking up, kind of like that. Have you seen that? I, I have to admit that makes me kind of envious. Because <laughs> I wish so, I had some hair, but my hair is all waved bye-bye. And uh, those days are over. But this guy had one of those spiked hairdos. And so my eye latched on to him a little bit. Probably if he hadn't had that hairdo, I wouldn't have noticed. But uh, as I noticed him walking on down the, the aisle there, uh, he had a something on his uh, shirt in the back. And I like to read things like that. That can be dangerous, though, can't it? But I, I read his, and it had a message on there that I think that Seventh-day Adventists will get immediately, okay? I've only told this story a couple of other places. Two weeks ago, I was at the Oklahoma camp meeting and told it there, and they got it right away. But here's what was on the back of his shirt. At the top, it said, Life is hard. Okay? Life is hard. And then further down, it said, Fight back like you're the third pig on the ramp leading up to Noah's Ark. <laughs> you got it. I knew you'd get it. There's always somebody trying to knock you off, right? When I saw that, I laughed. You know, I don't know what that... He was on my flight, too. I, I thought maybe I would ask him where he was buying his shirts, but uh, I thought maybe it was safer not to ask him. So... We were uh, reading... My, as I've told you, my wife reads to me a lot as we travel, and she was reading this book. This is a different book than last evening. Um... By the way, the book last evening was by Terry Schwartz. I don't think I gave him credit for that. You know, the, 
about the, the bolts and the nuts. We talked about that a little bit. Amazing story. And uh, this story is, is from a book, a fairly new book called Miracles in Unexpected Places, and it's written by Maxwell. And um, I would like to read it all to you so we wouldn't miss anything, but I think I'm going to tell it to you because, uh, uh, you, you know, time is, is always of essence, and uh, I think I can give you the, the whole story in a little less uh, version than this, but I had to open it up at least to get the the uh, title right because the title is is uh, a little bit hard to get right off the bat. It's called the mystery of the missing mashed maize patties. Got it? The mystery of the missing mashed maize patties. Now, what is maize? It's corn, isn't it? I, I'm a city boy, and so when I first read this or heard it, I thought, what in the world is that? Anyway, but maize is simply corn, and my mother used to make uh, a little corn fritter kind of a thing that she called hush puppies. Does anybody know about hush puppies? I, I asked my mother one time, I said, what are hush puppies anyway? She said, well, they're little corn things that you fry up, and if the dogs are barking, you flip it to the dogs, dogs will eat it, and it will hush those puppies right up. <laughs> so that was her explanation, okay? I've, I've lived with that over the years. I don't know if it's right or not, but anyway, this story has to do with some dogs and uh, some maize patties. And so I'm happy that some of you at least know what I'm talking about up here since I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, there was two call porters. You know what call porters are, don't you? They're becoming kind of a vanishing breed, but two call porters, book salesmen, religious book salesmen by the name of Isaiah and Solomon. They were working in a village in East Kenya, Africa, and as they would go from village to village, they would often stop at the uh, home of the elder in a community like that. And so they did what they usually were doing. They stopped at this elder's house. He was kind of in charge of the community. And they asked it, it would be all right if they would spend the night there and sell some of their books. And the man said, well, well sure, that's, that's fine. We will let you do that. In fact, we'll make you a feast. We'll have a feast. We'll let you sell your books afterwards. And we want you to, to be here. So these two boys thought this was evidently a sign from God that they should be there. And so uh, they were kind of talking to people, you know, and everything. But they, the village was getting ready. They pitched a tent, by the way. Probably not as big as this one, but at least a tent. And they were putting the food together and everything. And so uh, these two boys talking to people, and pretty soon the elders said, okay, it's time for us now to sit down and eat. So they all gathered around, and they, they were getting ready to eat. And those two boys did what any two good Seventh-day Adventist boys should do. What do you think they did? They prayed. And they didn't just bow their head and pray like that real quick, you know. They got down on their knees they closed their eyes, they bowed their heads, they folded their hands, and they prayed out loud. And out of respect, many of those people in that village got down also on their knees like that. They were not Seventh-day Adventists, but they got down on their knees like these boys did. And during the prayer, toward the end of the prayer, a bunch of dogs started barking. 
These dogs had kind of filtered into the tent. Probably they were wanting to taste the food. You know, that's my guess. Anyway, they'd filtered into the tent. At the end of the prayer, they started barking and yelping and making all kinds of racket. And so uh, boys got back up to their meal, getting ready to eat, and they noticed something. That something was gone off of their plates. There was some yams left on the plate, and there was some fruit, and there was no maize patties on their plates. They noticed that. They commented. They didn't know exactly what to do, if they should say something to the elder or just what. And so they just decided they would keep quiet, and they would eat what was placed before them there. So they began to do that. Dogs were still outside barking. They didn't know exactly what to make of that. But anyway, they finished their meal and um, decided that it might not be the best thing to stay overnight there, but to travel on to another village. So they started out walking, and they walked very fast. And as they were walking very fast toward the next village, they noticed that something or someone was following them. And so they didn't know exactly what that was, and so they kind of looked back over their shoulder but kept going, right? So anyway, they were still going, and as they looked back over their shoulder one time, they recognized that the person that was following them was that elder from that village, and he caught up with them, and he explained that he was a witch doctor. Now, they didn't know that, but they explained, he explained that he was a witch doctor, and that he had made those maize patties that were on their plates, and he said, all the dogs have died. And the boys tried to comfort him. Well, we're sorry. What happened? And he said, well, they ate those maize patties off of your plates. He said, I made them. I put poison in them. He said, I didn't want you boys selling books here. I thought maybe the people would read something or hear something that would not be good for them. He said, I wanted you dead. God protected them, didn't he? I, you know, I wonder what would have happened if they hadn't paused to say their blessing. I don't know. But when they had their head bowed and their eyes closed, those dogs got those patties somehow. Interesting. You know what? We worry about things sometimes when we shouldn't be worrying, shouldn't we? God will take care of us if we're faithful to Him. The witch doctor slash elder begged them to come back to his village, which they did. So they went back to the village. They did spend the night. And the next day he said, you can sell any books to anybody you want to. And he said, I want to buy some of your books. And that man gave up his job of being the witch doctor and became the Seventh-day Adventist church elder in that village. Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? Wow, what a miracle. God deals in miracles all of the time. Sometimes we just don't recognize them, right? That's what happens. And uh, so this evening, once again, I want to go to Scripture with you. And I want us to look at another example of uh, a miracle that occurred in Scripture. Now, remember, last night we learned that Jesus did seven miracles on the Sabbath. Seven unmistakable miracles on the Sabbath, and he could have done all of them on any other day. 
but he chose to do them on Sabbath for a purpose and for a reason, okay? That's what we talked about a little bit last night. We're going to delve into it just a little bit further this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do still work miracles in the lives of people. And Father, help us to be more mindful of these things. Help us to recognize your providential leading in our lives. Help us to recognize those times, Lord, when maybe even our lives have been in danger, but you have sent the angels or you have done something that has caused us, Heavenly Father, to be spared, to be able to live, continue to live life. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a hurry and in a crowd at the same time? I, I am, I'll have to admit, I am amazed. I think I admitted to you a little bit last evening that I am not the most technically advanced individual that you will find, right? I mentioned some of that last evening. And I'm amazed when I see people, if, if something is coming out, if a brand new iPhone is coming out, what will people do if they know it's going to be on sale? They will line up around the block if they have to. They will bring tents and sleeping bags just so they can be the first one in line to get that special deal on whatever that electronic is. You know, Best Buy. Best Buy has a way of doing this. And a lot of times that sale will start when? Midnight a lot of times. Those people are right there. They want to be the first one in line. And then when they open the doors, what happens? There is a stampede inside to get to the counters or wherever they have to get to in order to get those electronic instruments that they're after or Christmas presents or whatever it is. And sometimes, once in a while, I have seen it happen that sometimes people get trampled on the way in. Maybe two years ago, there was a lady that lost her life. I forgot what state it was in, but I was watching this unfold on the news, and she was trampled. The lady was trampled because people were such in a hurry to get to those sale items. In a crowd and in a hurry at the same time. That's what our story is kind of about today. We find Jesus going into a crowd, a crowd of people in a hurry, and at the same time, not sure of what's going to happen. There is this crowd sitting around a pool called Bethesda. And in John, the fifth chapter, John 5, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says about this crowd. John 5, verse 1. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there he is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that he had. You see, you had to be the first one down because being number two 
didn't count. It didn't work. You had to be number one. Legend had it that an angel would come down and stir this pool. I read the Seventh Avenue's commentary on this. Some people do believe that an angel did that. Others believe that it was simply some subterranean uh, pool or um, a fountain or something that would every once in a while bubble up. But anyway, that's not what's important. What's important is that there's people around there that believed that if they're the first one in the pool, then they would be healed. And so when the water was moving, there was a rush to be the first one in. And it says in verse 5, now there was a certain man. We're going to look at him this evening. There was a certain man who was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now, how long did that lady's infirmity last night that we look at? How long did that last? 18 years. Okay, that was bad enough. This guy had been sick for 38 years. And it was the Sabbath. And Jesus looks out on the hundreds of people gathered there, enduring the heat and the cold for a chance to be the first one in. Then the call goes out. They will crawl. They will grovel. They will drag themselves along. They will pull their way along in an attempt to reach the pool. How many people die on the brink of Bethesda, trampled by others? No one knows. How many corpses would have to be removed daily. Corpses of those who didn't make it. And it's the Sabbath. And Jesus stands there looking. Don't you suppose that Jesus thought, if I just speak the word, everyone here would be healed. He had the power to do that, didn't he? He could have done that. It would have hastened an already untimely death, though, wouldn't it? Had Jesus done that. As Jesus surveys the crowd, his eyes fall on a sickly, emaciated, sunken-eyed wretch who had laid on that mat for 38 years. I made a pastoral visit recently on a young man, well, a man, let's, let's just say a man, that I knew years ago. I knew him as a strong, strapping good-looking young man. I knew that life was going to be good for him. I mean, he looked great. Girls loved him, did okay in school, did well in school. It just seemed like that he was such a likable guy that everything had to go well with him. I visited him in jail, though, twice recently. He's sickly, emaciated, has some diseases. He said, Larry, I never thought my life would turn out like this. I felt sorry for him. I really did. We had prayer. He asked for money. We had prayer. But I thought about that so much as I drove away from that jail that day. He had to stay in there for several more years. And I thought about that. Wow, that's not something I ever would have thought would have happened to him, but it did. 38 years, Jesus later comments, indicate that it was his own sin that had put him there. That's the bad part. You know, it's bad enough to be sick. It's worse, though, to be sick because of something that you've been doing. 
Now, it probably was a social disease. The Bible doesn't say it was AIDS or, or any kind of venereal disease. It doesn't say that. But it only makes it worse to think about that maybe that this was perhaps a result of his lifestyle. Maybe something he did as a teenager. Let's just say he was 13 when it happened. Plus 38 would be 51, right? That would be maybe about the right age. Middle-aged, wasted man that can't even hobble to the pool. 38 years each day hoping for a miracle, but there was none. Then he looks up into the face of a man bending over him, shielding his eyes from the sun because this man begins to speak. And he says in verse 6, Jesus saw him lying there and he said, or he knew he had already been there in that condition for a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? I mean, hey, come on. Jesus knew, didn't he? Do you want to be made? Why in the world would Jesus say that to somebody like that? Have you ever thought about that? You know, sometimes I think that we need to do that. We need to pray to God. We need to talk to Jesus. We need to uh, ask for the Holy Spirit's blessing. All of those things because it sharpens our focus when we do that. That's why Jesus, I believe, asked him, do you want to be made well? Well, hey, sure. Hey, and he didn't know who Jesus was, but to think, yeah, I would love to be made well. Are you going to help me? Are you going to be the one that, are you going to be the man that carries me down? He goes on to say in verse 8, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone else steps down before me. But that doesn't make any difference to Jesus. He says, do you want to be made well? And the man responds, yes. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was what? It was the Sabbath when Jesus did that. Did Jesus have to do it on that day? No. But it's one of Jesus' seven miracles that he did on the seventh day Sabbath. He had something to teach to the people there and teach us, I believe. Because you see, this encounter tells us much about salvation. Which of us here is able to save yourself? No more are we able to save ourselves than that man that was laying on that stinking mat for 38 years. You can't do it by yourself. Jesus bends over us. Do you want to be made well? All we have to do is ask Jesus and allow Jesus because you can't do it yourself. I pray that God will help us to realize that we can never save ourselves. Listen to this from the book Desire of Ages, what Ellen White says about this encounter. This is what it says. This is page 203 in case you're writing it down. Desire of Ages 203. Jesus had given him no assurance of divine help. Okay? The man might have stopped to doubt and lost his chance of healing. If he would have doubted and said, nah, I don't think so. I, you know, I've been here a long time. 
he would have lost that chance. But he believed Christ's word, and in acting upon it, he received strength. He was acting upon something that he couldn't see, but Jesus could see. Now listen to this about us. Through the same faith, we may receive spiritual healing. Right in the, next, in, in the next paragraph here, she says, Through this same faith, we may receive spiritual healing. By sin, we've been severed from the life of God. Our souls are palsied. Of ourselves, we're no more capable of living a holy life than was the impotent man capable of walking. There are many who realize their helplessness, who long for that spiritual life, which will bring them into harmony with God. In despair they cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I'm here to remind you this evening, because you know it already, that Jesus is able to deliver you from that. And God is just as willing to deliver us today as He was that man. We talked about the Sabbath a little bit last evening. We don't have time to go back and review all of that. But I believe that the Sabbath comes around once a week to remind us that we're impotent without Jesus. That we have to have Jesus in our lives to do any good thing. We can't do anything, really, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. We have to be reminded of it, though, because so many times we try But we just can't do it. Why make it so difficult when we know how to do it? We can follow these words of Jesus. Going down to verse 9, it says, And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Here he is, the most happy, jubilant day of his miserable life. He's singing. He's whistling. he, He may even be dancing. Are Adventists supposed to dance? I think some of us might when we get to heaven. It won't be kind of dance that we have here. It'll be dancing for joy. Singing. And then all of a sudden, this man runs into a bunch of church members. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I wish the story ended right there, don't you? What a great ending to a story. But it goes on down to verse 10. It says, The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured. It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Salvation is free in Jesus, but it takes our cooperation. We have to give credit to whom credit is due. Amen? It goes on to say in verse 15, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? Here is the one that made the Sabbath. And you've got people saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that on this holy day. You know, it's a tragedy to review this story and see how people, Sabbath keepers, had bound up the Sabbath with so many rules and regulations. In the Mishnah, that's a rabbinical list of do's and don'ts. There's 39 categories of labor. 
It's just giving you a taste of it. Problem is that when you begin making rules, then you spend the rest of your life defining them. What if this happened? What if this happened? Two famous rabbis at the beginning of the first century by the name of Hillel and Shammai took opposite points of view, and boy, did they discuss. They loved to go at one another. One case in point, how do you observe the Sabbath when your house is burning down? You've always wondered that, haven't you? That could be the reason you came to camp meeting this year. You're going to be able to know what to do if your house is burning down on the Sabbath. Well, they said you're prohibited from carrying anything to put the fire out. That's bad news right away, isn't it? Except, here come the exceptions, except you can carry food, three meals for every family. Okay, remember that, right? Jot that down. I can imagine them if fire broke out, what they would be trying to do. Oh, by the way, you couldn't carry clothes out, ladies, but you could wear them out. And I get this, I get this picture of somebody dressed up, you know, waddling. 35 pairs of shoes. Jane, I knew you would have some comment about that. But it was all right to let a Gentile put out the fire. Huh, interesting. If a Gentile just happened to stop by, you could say, there's a fire in my house, and hopefully he would put it out. You know, there's all kind of exceptions to the rules. Uh, you know, the, the one that kind of sticks in my mind, they could only go a Sabbath day's journey each time. You've read that. I think that's something like an eighth of a mile or something like that. It's been a while since I've looked that up. An eighth of a mile, that's the Sabbath day's journey. Almost every Seventh-day Adventist pastor that I know breaks that rule every Sabbath. But if you needed to go twice as far, you could have your wife pack you a lunch, go out on Friday, put your lunch there by a tree, thus establishing residence, and then you could go on another eighth of a mile. It's handy. And I, you know, I've thought, how many lunches could she pack that would get you five miles? I, I don't know how that would work, but what's one of those things, okay? There were exceptions ad nauseum. The common people were supposed to know how, what to do and how to abide by that. And into this tragedy steps the Lord of the Sabbath. Seven unmistakable miracles of healing on the Sabbath, Jesus frees them Frees a man from the power of sin. He could have done it on Friday. Could have done it on Sunday. But I think he did it to show us the true reason for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for healing. Verse 16. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. So here we are 2,000 years later. What's changed? Anything different? Do we need healing? Yeah. We need spiritual healing. Just like that man needed physical healing. 2,000 years later, here we are. How is the Sabbath celebrated in your heart and in your home? 
You might say, Pastor, Friday night's all right, but the rush of Sabbath morning, that is a killer. Uh, To get everybody to church, all our family, everybody ends up mad, and then those Sabbath afternoons, they're long in the summer. I can't even sleep long enough to get by them. Man, I got Saturday night fever. I can't wait for the sun to go down and paint the town red. 2,000 years, what's changed? If that's the way you celebrate the Sabbath, you might as well give it up now. The point I want you to remember is this. If you're confused about the meaning of the Sabbath, then you're probably confused about the method of the Sabbath. Because you see the two are bound together, the meaning and the method. That's the way it is with any anniversary, though, isn't it? How many of you remember where you were September 11, 2001? Is that what it was? September 11. You remember where you were? I remember exactly where we were. We were in Reno. We were getting up, getting out of bed. I turned on the TV like I usually do to catch the morning news. And it showed this airplane hitting the tower. At first I thought, whoa, what a terrible accident. And then a few minutes later, another jet hits a tower. That was no accident. Neither one of those. I couldn't believe what was beginning to unfold right before my very eyes. Terrible. The anniversary of that rolls around and we talk about it, don't we? Was anybody alive? December 7, 1941. Anybody here in this group? You remember what happened December 7, 1941? Pearl Harbor. What? Two weeks old. You were alive. My mother was alive and my dad were alive and they could remember exactly where they were on December 7, 1941. They remember hearing a crackling radio connection by the president, was it President Roosevelt? December 7, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Remember that? Wow. Those anniversaries come and go. They come and go pretty fast. Just a few years ago, I was standing over the battleship Arizona. You know, it's, it's a grave to probably, what is it, 1,800 young men? Many, many didn't know what hit them. They're down there. And as you go out to that memorial at Pearl Harbor, the Arizona is sitting down there. You see the form of it. And you remember, that's, that's a place where a lot of people lost their lives. That's the way it is with those kind of anniversaries. We have good anniversaries, though, too, don't we? Those are sweet things. You remember, boy, hopefully, gentlemen, I hope that you can remember the day that you were married. If your recollection's getting bad there, you're in real trouble. That's a good anniversary, though, and anniversaries of birthday. You know, we don't have birthdays every year. We're not born every year. We have anniversaries of birthdays. Amen. And remember those things. You know, we get old like I am, though, you want to forget about those things, those birthdays. But uh, really, it's a blessing to God that we're alive. And so the Sabbath comes around every week as an anniversary of what event? Creation. It's the anniversary of God's creative power in the world. And you know what? I I go out, we, we love to go to state parks and places like that. 
And then the people, the, the forest rangers, a lot of times will tell us how many millions of years old these places are. You hear that? It is, it's incredible. I mean, I don't know. I, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith in the earth? I wonder about that sometime, don't you? Because it seems like we're almost alone in believing in special creation. But the Bible is very clear. The Sabbath is the anniversary of that. And by the way, we read last night that it's not only the anniversary of uh, creation, it is the anniversary of recreation. Jesus, what did he do on the Sabbath at the crucifixion? He rested, didn't he? He rested in the tomb. Creator, recreator. Have you ever had a wreck? I've had one, well, maybe two. A fender bender was kind of more. But have you ever had a wreck in a car? And that car is all bent up. Maybe, Maybe it's a nice car that you had and you have a wreck and the thing is all bent up, and you take it to the body shop, and what do they do? Start taking parts off of it and things like that that are bent. If the frame happens to be bent, they have a way of of straightening that up again, making it true once again, and then they put those fenders or those quarter panels back on there and paint it, and comes back looking really good. You know, I'm thinking God is like that too, isn't he? He's just waiting to remake this world. Is this, you know, as beautiful as this place is, all the pine trees and and the water and everything, is it perfect like Jesus made it? No, it's not. There's things that happen out there that are bad things. Jesus wants to remake it. And by the way, We're going to be witnesses of Jesus remaking the world. Isn't that going to be great? I would love to have been there the first time and see Jesus speak and it comes into existence. That that is absolutely incredible. But we're going to have that opportunity when this earth is remade. And it's going to be given back to us in its pristine state. pristine. And God's going to fix us up too. You know what, I, I, I hate to walk by mirrors anymore. Some of you feel like I do. When I look at mirrors, I notice that there's wrinkles and things like that that were never there before. And I'm thinking, man, life, I am getting old. I am starting to look more and more like my dad every day. <laughs> You're laughing. My dad was a great man, you know. He was, he was not, as far as the world is concerned, he didn't have any big position or anything like that. But my dad was just a sweet Christian, Seventh-day Adventist man. Sweet man. I'm looking more like him every day. I'm not liking it, though. I kind of wish that I could retain some of my youth. But I can tell you this. God can fix us all up better than a body shop. He's going to redo these bodies. He's going to redo this world. And we're going to be the witness of it. We're going to be able to live with him throughout eternity. We go to heaven for how long? thousand years. And that's only the beginning. And then it goes on and on. By the way, this is not in the sermon this evening. 
Where is the Garden of Eden? Weren't we put in the Garden of Eden? They get wiped out at the flood or what happened? You read a little bit of the Spirit of Prophecy and she tells you what happened. God withdrew it from the earth. And one day we're going to get the Garden of Eden back, given back to us. A lot of times the focus is on us, isn't it? We think about that and how good we're going to look when we get to heaven, when Jesus remakes us. And we're going to see our loved ones again that have died and, and all of that. But God is going to remake all of this and he's going to give us the Garden of Eden back like it was in the beginning. In fact, she says this, Adam and Eve, behold... The Garden of Eden, they see the trees, the very trees that they cared for. They see the flowers, the very flowers that they cared for. Once in a while, I'm a good guy. I stop by an expensive store like Walmart. <laughs> I buy my wife flowers for some occasion. And they give that little package you tear, you, you know, you, you, I, I rush home and if she's not there, I stick it in water, tear that little package up and stick it in there, hoping it will be immortal. But it isn't. It dies, doesn't it? Those flowers, in heaven, there'll be no death. Adam and Eve will see the very flowers, the very trees, and the very vines that they took care of. Does it get any better than that? And we will be able to see that and participate in it. What about, how did I get off on this subject? It's easy to get off started talking about heaven, isn't it? Really is. I want to see our loved ones again, don't you? I've got a dad I want to see, died in 1980. Used to call me every Sunday, son, how's it going? How's your ministry going? I'd say, okay, dad. We talk a little bit more. Well, I won't go into that anymore. He passed away. My mother then took up calling me every Sunday. I miss that phone call every Sunday. I have a younger brother that's already passed away. He was, uh, my younger brother was born, I don't know exactly how it works, but chromosome messed up, whatever, Down syndrome. Have you heard of that? He had Down syndrome. Sweet, loving young man. I am excited to see how God will restore him. And I'm excited to be, see the man that God created him to be. Because here on this earth, it wasn't. I hope that you long for heaven like I do. In a crowd and in a hurry at the same time. You know what? You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the best. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus. What would Jesus say if he could step into this pulpit this evening? Knowing our subject. Would he say that Sabbath is a day to celebrate our friendship? Go ahead, laugh, sing, be happy. Forget about your work, your entertaining, your studies. This is our day. This is our day. You see, in Jesus, we find the meaning and the method. I say praise God for His day and His way. You know what? I'll close with this. I'll sit down. As I said last evening, I don't believe that we have begun to plumb the depths of the Sabbath 
as we should have. We have a good, solid basis, biblical basis for Sabbath keeping. We got all those slides and things like that, and we can put the beast up there, and we should. We got to do that. I mean, that's, it's in the Bible. It's in Daniel, Revelation. But you know what? If that's the only reason you're keeping the Sabbath, then you're missing the biggest part of the Sabbath. Recently, I was, I was uh, watching some documentary on our soldiers that are coming back from um, war. And many of them have PTS, what is it? Post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever the acronym for that is. They're being counseled. They get counseled when they come back on how, once again, to be at peace with people around. See, they're trained. Like our speaker said this morning, these young men and women are trained so that when they come up against hostile forces, they know what to do. After they come back, they also need to have some training. And you know what, folks? We are in war too, aren't we? We are. It's called the great controversy. We are in that same thing. And I think that we need something to help us stay centered. And you know what that is? I believe it's the Sabbath. And I believe, folks, that if, if we were to plumb the depths and scale the heights of, of what that is. By the way, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Isn't, isn't that what he said? Yeah, if he did, then the closest we can get to Jesus on this earth is to hallow and keep holy his Sabbaths. Because there's something about that. There's something special on Sabbath. I I used to be a Sunday keeper. We were in church every Sunday. I told the folks last evening, I went back to that church after 50 years. I was a Sunday keeper, but I can tell you that the day we started keeping Sabbath, it was something different. It was something special. And we didn't have the foggiest idea what we were doing, but we began to do it. And we were able to grow over the years. I look forward to and I love Sabbath. Don't you? Wow, what a day. What a gift God has given to us. And so like that man that lay on that stinking mat for 38 years, here we are this evening 2014, just as much in need of the healing touch as was that man. Will you allow Jesus to touch your heart, touch your mind, your PTSD, is that what it is? Okay, of fighting, battling sin all week long. Will you allow Jesus to do something special for you on Sabbath? And by the way, there's a whole bunch of other people out there like me. We don't know what day to keep. I'm glad that that pastor threw up a tent and did an evangelistic meeting in San Antonio because me and my family were there and it changed our lives. There's other people out there like that that are waiting just to be invited. I hope that we're inviting. I hope that we're making Sabbath. And I'll say one more thing, okay, and I'll close. I really will this time. You have to give you a couple of warnings and then really do it. I think, you know, I just wish that we could make all of our churches like a city of refuge. Where on Sabbath, people could come there and enjoy living. I mean really living 
okay, and seeing how to do it. They need models of how to do it, okay? We needed that, and we saw that. People invited us over to their homes. We got acquainted with those strange patties and stuff like that that you Adventists eat, those hot dogs. I, I don't, you know, I can rem- only remember about five or six of those things, but they got all kinds of things now, don't they? But anyway, over the dining room table, we gradually saw the importance of the Sabbath and fellowship, not only with each other, but with Jesus. Jesus is there to do us. He wants to remake us. He is ready to come. In fact, I, I just have this picture in my mind of Jesus leaning over the side of heaven, if there is such a thing, saying, Father, is this the day? You want me to go? I'm ready. Ready to go. Father's saying, hey, hang on, just, I got a few more down there, okay? You know what? Every day that goes by, God looks better. Sometimes we blame Him for not coming. But don't you have loved ones that are not in the ark of safety? I do. I want to see Jesus come soon, and I believe Jesus is ready to come. Let's hold up Jesus, okay? The Sabbath is a wonderful thing, a wonderful gift, but Jesus is behind it all. Amen? It's really all about Jesus. It really is. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for all the gifts that you give us. But we've been zeroing in. We've been lasering in on the Sabbath. And these, these seven miraculous healings that Jesus did on the seventh day Sabbath, making the religionist mad. The king of the, the, the universe, the, the creator, the maker of the Sabbath being told by His creation, this is not what should be happening on the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'll forgive us. Be with us as Seventh-day Adventists, Father, because we can be just as pharisaical as they were. But be with us, Father. I pray that You will help our homes be a happy place, that You will help our churches be a happy place. And so, Father, we love You. We want to draw closer to You this week at camp meeting. Father, that's why we're here, and I pray that we will hear something, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, that you will make us long for a place in your kingdom, long for heaven, and help others to be ready also. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing in our behalf. And Lord, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'd just like to ask if there's anyone here that would like to raise your hand toward heaven right now and tell Jesus, please, Jesus, lift me off of this mat. Help me to get a new lease on life. Help me, Father, to have salvation through your Son, Jesus. Is there anyone like that? I see a lot of hands. Heavenly Father, you can see all these hands, but more important than that, you can read our hearts. You know if we really mean it. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you this evening. We place ourselves before you, Lord, and we pray that you'll do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.